Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. You may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, healers, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or a personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalon Johnson. My guest today is Tabitha Ferrer. Tabitha is a licensed social worker who is and has been passionate about supporting and guiding young people since she worked as a youth counselor in an after-school program in her teens. Tabitha received a BA in psychology from, with a concentration in child psychology from Alberts Magnus College and a master's in social work from Fordham University. As a role model, Tabitha helped young people with their struggles while acting as a model of hope and success. Noticing the lack of interactive wellness spaces for young people to learn about their emotions and ways to cope with stressors in life, Tabitha decided to address this need, and in 2020, she created the 4AIR Project. Tabitha's mission with the 4AIR Project is to create mental health and wellness spaces for young people to feel seen, heard, and valued on their wellness journeys. So Tabitha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I gave a a bit of an introduction, but so that the audience can get to know you better, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself, please? Yes. So I am from Queens, New York. Shout out to Queens. Um, (laughs) I am the second youngest kid out of five of us. Um, What else? Um, I've been working with kids since I was in high school. Um, I'm very active, so I've done like gymnastics and stuff and dance. Um, what else? Um, I was adopted when I was a toddler. Um, I lived with that family forever. Um, but I'm a social butterfly. I'm going to be the social worker that's on Broadway one day. So watch out for me. <laughs> um, what else? That's a little bit about me. I'm a Leo. So shout out to all the Leos. Um, yeah, so that's me in like a little nutshell. Thank you for that. Um, because you're so passionate about supporting young people, I wanted to ask you what were your early years like and what impact did that have on your desire to become a therapist? Um, my younger childhood was very fun. Um, I've always done like after school, like activities. So I've done dance, I've done, uh, like academics after school, which I really did not like, um, but like as far as like school and like my teachers, I think I started really liking school in middle school. Like it started to feel like a community. Um, teachers weren't just teachers. They were teacher guidance counselors. I really honestly didn't know a guidance counselor until I got to high school. My teachers were our people. Those are people we had lunch with. Those were the people we confided in. Those were the people who knew like we were having an off day. Like those were our people. Um, they sat and joked with us. They like kept us on track as far as academics. Like it became a, a family. So I think in middle school, I really started liking school and like friends. Like I was never a kid that was absent. My mom was like, no, if it's snowing, you're still going to school. So besides that, I, I was forced to go to school. Um, but school, I really did like then. Um, I was always active in something after school or out of school. Um, very social. Um, knew a lot of students, never in anything, any drama or any issues. Um, but I just knew a lot of people just being me and my people knew people. So then, you know, you just know people. Um, outside of school, family wise, um, I have a younger sister. So it was always the four of us, me, her and my parents. Um, and we do movie night on Sundays. Like, I don't know if you know, or like back in the days on like our channel seven Sundays was Disney night. So every Sunday they played like a Disney movie, classic movie, whatever it was. Um, and Sunday nights we would watch it, and that would be the only night we were allowed to stay up later was to finish that movie. So like we've done family things like that. Um, and then as far as it having an impact on me becoming a therapist, when I started working for the after school program when I was in high school, um, 
I just noticed, I was working with middle schoolers. So I was in high school working with middle schoolers. And I just noticed students, and I didn't have language at the time to say like, this is what it was. But I noticed students were struggling behaviorally, having outbursts, um, but can't control anger. So at that point, I was, I wanted to know, well, why do kids do what they do? What, why do their brains work the way they work? And how can I be a role model to them so that they do better? Um, and I'm only 16, 17. I don't really know what to do, but I know that I'm somebody they could look up to and I have, I felt I had qualities that they could look up to. School wise, I'm working, you know, um, I'm acting. You know, I'm an athlete, so I'm doing all these things that can, like, inspire a youth. Um, so that's what it was for me to even start looking into wanting to work with youth, period. I didn't even know what a social worker was until I was graduating um, college. So I didn't want to take a GRE, honestly. I, that was why I changed fields. I was all psychology until they said, you need to take a GRE to get your master's. And I was like, I'm not doing that. What can I do next? They said the next best thing really was social work. And I was like, what is social work? So after my sociology teacher broke it down to me on what it was, I said, okay, I could do that. And I don't need a test to get in. Let's do it. So from there, I realized I could be the role model. I can give them skills, guidance, and language through being a therapist. And then the rest was history. So just seeing that, I think as a kid or a teenager, from a younger youth, that's what inspired like the rest of it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, what is social work like? A roller coaster. <laughs> Simply, <laughs> it's a roller coaster. You have your good days, you have your bad days. Um, being a social worker is not just we sit in a chair and talk about feelings. There's a lot more that comes to being a social worker. Um, there's a lot of work with the parents. There's a lot of work with, depending on what type of social worker you are as well, because there's many different types. Um, there's work with the schools. You're working with grades. You're working with case management teams, um, connecting kids to families. So I'm a school social worker primarily. And what that looks like is I work with students in the school who are, um, mandated with the IEP or individual education plan. So they receive special services in the school. Some of them have counseling on their plans. So I do meet with them. But outside of like my IEP students, I meet with general ed and I do crisis management. I'm connecting those youth to counseling on the outside of school. So you're meeting with kids for student mandates, student mandates, you're doing parent meetings. I'm doing supportive team meetings. Um, I'm working on attendance. So there's a lot that comes with the role of a social worker. Um, I'm, the biggest role also is supporting a parent, um, helping them to, to feel validated, helping them to feel seen, especially when they're having a hard time with their child um, or they're having a lot of family issues and things like that. You're not just supporting the child, but you're also supporting the parent in whatever it is that's going on on the outside of the child. Um, because they're one unit and then you all become one unit together. Um, so the role is a roller coaster. There's a lot of twists and turns. We get a lot of role, different jobs thrown at us to support families, essentially. Um, but I don't, I think I would, I wouldn't trade it before. <laughs> I was going to say, I think there's a lot of, um, fear about social workers, because I, I know that I used to always think, you know, social workers are people who take kids away from their parents. Um, so Absolutely. because, because that may be something that people think and associate with social work, how do you feel about that? I hear that a lot of times. And as mm. from kids too, it's like, we can't talk to you. Our parents said you're going to take us away. And I explained to them, I understand. And that's not my job. Like, that's not my job to remove you. It's not my job to get anybody in trouble. Um, and it's also explaining to parents and children what my job is. Like, I'm not going to make a home visit at your house. I'm not showing up. Like, unless we have, honestly, the greatest relationship in the world and you are an attendance issue child, then I'm going to pull up and I'm going to come to your house with your parents' permission. But I'm not coming to your house just to come to your house. Um, 
And I explain what the role is. My role is to support you in the areas that you're having a challenge with. And the challenge we're talking about is one that you've identified that you need help with. And so has your child. Um, I'm not here to judge you. This is an open space. Say what you need to say. How can I also support you? Do you need your own support outside of the child? Oftentimes, once I break it down and tell them I'm here to provide, whether it's therapy resources to them or I'm here to provide in-school support, then they calm down and like, oh, not that bad. Like your child comes to me if there's an issue. Like I'm number mommy number one in the building outside of you. If there's an issue, they can come see me. Um, and then I will call you. And they're like, okay, I understand now. All right, now let's talk. And then that opens the dialogue for more conversations. So if I break my role down to them, let them know I'm just here as a support. I'm not coming in to take anybody, get anybody in trouble. Then they're a lot more calmer and a lot more open with me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I think that kind of breaks the the stigma behind, you know, what social workers do and what they don't do. And, and you know, because like I said, there's always this fear of, you know, we're going to be separated from our parents if a, short, if a social worker gets involved. That was why I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to talk about that. Yeah, and I think that the role of the social worker or, or any worker has changed a lot too. Um, the city has moved a lot more to reunification or keeping families together like unity. So there's less families being separated um, kind of from what it was before. Mm. But, you know, people don't see or not educated. They don't realize that there's that shift. So it's just a lot of also education with the role. Now, in social work, I'm sure there's a huge mental health component. Um, So I wanted to ask, what does mental health mean to you? And also, what can it look like sometimes in how you do your job? Yeah. So mental health is how we function daily. How do we manage the stress in our lives? How are we able to cope with the things that are tossed at us daily? How um, do we just get up when things are hard? Everybody, when I talk about mental health, I express everybody has mental health. Like everybody has some type of mental health because we're moving, we're functioning, we're alive. So how do we not have it? The difference between people is how severe is it impacted daily? Can you get out of bed? Can you go to work? Can you wash your clothes? Can you wash yourself? Did you eat like those things on a daily? Some people don't think about. So how well can you do those things daily? Um, sometimes we are functioning, but very numb. Is that okay for you? Right. So having these thoughts and questions. Um, and then what was the second part of your question? What does mental health it. look like? What can it look like in, another part. in how you do your job? Ah, right. How does it look like? Um, so th- like if we're very negatively impact, if our mental health is negative, negatively impact, what were we doing before that we're no longer doing? Were we going out and hanging out with friends every day? And now we're just coming straight home and like, we want to go right to bed. What has changed in um, our work life? Were we on top of our job before? Like really like, all right, to-do list, bing, bing, bing. And now we're just like, I can't do it. Um, What does, you know, our habits look like? Are we exercising still? Are we doing, um, are we going out for a run? What are we doing in that world? If these things have shifted in life, our mental health is possibly declining, right? Um, Are we more anxious and in space, certain spaces, anxious, rapid heartbeat. Um, are we sweating? Are we um, shaking? Like, are we just not comfortable with certain spaces? Are we feeling very low and numb? Those are things that we should be aware of too. So I think in the work, sometimes we don't take a second to even pause and and scan our body and see what we feel like. We're just going, going, going. I need to get to work because I got to pay a bill. I got to go work two jobs. Because I got to take care of a kid and and an elderly person. So I'm always on the go and thinking of how am I going to survive the next day that I don't pause to see, whoa, my mental health isn't okay. Like I haven't been to a hair salon, a barbershop. I haven't, my laundry is up to the roof and I have no clean clothes and I didn't even notice it because I'm on the run. 
which now you're like, dang, I don't have no clothes. I'm going to be late to work because I have no clothes. I don't have to come to shower. I can't hand wash anything because it won't get dried in time for me to do what I have to do. So now what happens to your mental health? It declines. Now we're sad. Now we're numb. We're probably anxious. We may even be upset that maybe the supports we have or had before are no longer there. Are we angry? What does that look like? So I think stopping to really scan and figure out what do I feel on the inside? Do I feel anything? Because if you don't, that's also another like sign. Something is wrong. Um, and just because something is wrong, it's okay, right? Because we're human. A lot of times we're told, you crazy, that's not okay, but it is okay. Like, Feel what you feel because something is going on that you're not getting support from. Something needs to change. But how do we get there if we don't understand something happened and there's no dialogue or conversation? Hmm. That was some <laughs> amazing points. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I want to ask a question that is kind of something that can be passed down the line. And that's what are some behaviors that you see in adults who didn't get a lot of attention as a child? And then how can that affect their parenting, which in turn will affect their children's mental he- mental health? Uh, adults that I've worked with um, who have not received, whether it's therapy as a kid or like had a hard childhood, when I do talk to them, um, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain in talking to them. Do I get it right away? No. But when they're at their wit's end, it's like word vomit. And um, you see that there's a lot of loneliness. You see the uh, unhealthy relationships. You see the lack of communication that happens, whether it's between me and them or them and their child. Um, you see the fear and um, there's no trust. I don't know who to trust. Um, you see they struggle with acceptance of situations and then denial is a big part of it. Um you can see they feel like someone's always out to get them, like they're not safe. Um, and then how does that play with their child? There's a lot of power struggle between them and the child. Um, denial sometimes, like there's nothing wrong with my child. Nobody believes me or no one, you know, no one was giving me a space before. Like you're okay. And you see how that plays out with their child. When the child may be asking for help. And it's like, you okay? You just being bad. But that's not what it really is. Um, you know, they sometimes they overcompensate for what they didn't get with their child. I didn't get this, so I need to make sure I give the, my child everything. But then that is enabling behaviors. And it's a hard conversation to have with parents. Um You see, for them to accept that there may be more with the child that's wrong, it's hard. Or you see parents now like really trying to live a life that they didn't have when they were younger. And it's like, I need you. to. I need you. Your child needs you. And unfortunately, the child may be with an elderly parent, but the parent is doing what they want to do because they didn't have that when they were younger, which sucks for the child um, because now you you live maybe a lifestyle where you had to raise yourself and now guess what your child is also raising themselves so now we're talking to the child like why are we not doing good because I got to take care of somebody here I got to figure out how I'm going to eat well why are you late to school because I was up now I get it because now you're also you 12 but you're acting 16 because you don't have a choice um, so you kind of see how it it trickles down like the parents and again i think this goes this is a point is like you you don't know what you don't know like a lot of kids you know those conversations with kids your parents only can do what they were taught or what they were shown they can't give you certain love because they don't know so certain type of love or certain ways that parents may approach a situation 
kids don't approve of. But it's a conversation on they can't because they don't know. They were never given a space. But now with you, now I have to teach you how to, unfortunately, kind of kind of accept the way the approach is. Because also we can't change your parent, but we can change how you show up. So sometimes kids are very confused as to, well, you want me to show up this way, but mom, dad, uncle, you just came at me this way. Why wouldn't I give it back? And sometimes that's hard for a parent to say, the way you're coming off to this child is a little wrong because then you don't want to put them down, but it's also, that's how they were talked to. So you kind of see like, as you're in meetings, parents give out what they were taught. And not all the time where they told this was wrong. They only know it as correct because that's what they were shown. Um, and then they don't go to therapy to get that work and dig into like their younger self and work through that because they don't understand there is work that needs to be done. Um, but then they come and expect a lot from their child. I need my child to be in school, an A-plus person. I need them to have these type of relationships. But are we showing them that? And sometimes it takes for someone, a therapist or whoever, to bring that to light for the parent. Um, so I've seen a lot of those with families I've worked with, like just a family who, a parent who struggled, has struggled and now the kid is reacting to that. And now they want the child also sometimes to just be fixed. Fix my kid. Hmm. I can't wow. fix the kid <laughs> necessarily. I can give them skills, but also it takes for you as an adult to do your part, which can be hard because then that ties back into their younger self. Are they willing to do that work? Some are and some aren't. Hmm. So if that makes sense. <laughs> It was a lot. Sounds like it's just a a vicious cycle. Like if, okay. So if when I was 12, I had to basically take care of myself and raise myself. Everything that I learned along the way is now going to be what I know to give me safety because I did this. So now when I become a parent, I'm going to instill those things in my child. And I'm basically just repeating what I had to go through, especially if now this is my only opportunity to live the life that I get didn't get to have before. So, oof. Right, right. And it's definitely hard to be on the outside and explain to, like, a kid, this is probably what your parent had to go through. And then you were expecting, like, this other 12-year-old to understand what now a 30, 35-year-old may be experiencing. It, it's very hard. You want that little of them to understand this bigger person and this bigger person is trying to like have a little more of their younger youth. So it's like, it's all intertwined and it becomes very hard for both parties. And sometimes even though it's very difficult and maybe unhealthy at times, I've seen a lot of love between the parent and the child. Their love for each other is undeniable, but Mm. the work that needs to be done is very, very difficult. Mm. Indeed. I wanted to ask you, have oh, yeah. you experienced any any big losses? And if so, um, how, the, how did that allow for you to be more relatable to the young people that you work with who may have experienced something similar? Yeah, when I started college, um, the end of my first year, I had come home from college. I went to school in Connecticut, as you mentioned. Um, and we found out that my dad was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer um, and had a year to live. So that was a summer after freshman year of college Um, throughout that year. So I started sophomore year um, of college. I stayed away and I did what I had to do. But throughout the year, it was very difficult because in school, I'm I'm a student, I'm a resident assistant. So I'm an RA. So I work for the campus. I play softball. I'm on student government, like I'm doing a lot in school. Um, And then I'm working work study on top of, in between all that, you're coming home to take care of a sick parent. Um, And that's out of my control, right? Like he has to go get chemo. And it's not even one type of chemo, it's two different types of chemo. So it's like medicine plus like intravenous, so like through the veins. Um, And as the time goes on, he's regressing more and more. So he's turning more into a kid. So now I'm, I was 19 at the time. 
Um, so I'm a 19 year old, just started college, really still a kid. <laughs> you just kind of graduated high school. I have no clue how to have these conversations with doctors. I have no clue on medications. Like, I don't know what this medication is for. Um, but what I do know is it's my job to make sure he can walk down the stairs and make sure he's taking his meds, make sure he's happy. Like, um, and yes, I do have siblings, but also my siblings did not live in New York. So it's waiting for them to come when they can. And when they can't, I'm stepping it up. And that's when I'm home from school. Um, and then a year comes by. So now we're at the end of sophomore year. And then, you know, he that was it. He was gone. But in between all of that, it's getting emergency surgeries. Um, he did die and they resuscitated him. So it's dealing with all of these other crises that happens throughout the year. Um, it's, it's having patience and not getting frustrated. So you're asking 19 year old to be patient with a sick person. Yeah. He's doing some dumb stuff and it's like, you cannot yell at him because he can't control it. But then I'm also human. So how do I manage those emotions and not get frustrated at the time? Um, and, and I didn't even start like any type of counseling or therapy. It was just like, you got to walk away. You got to take a deep breath. So I had no skills at a 19 year old on how to do with this. I never even had a sick, dealt with somebody this sick before. Um, so dealing with that within the year was hard and then maintaining grades. Um, but my school was very, very supportive in that process of, do you need extra time on um, getting your finals and we'll extend it? I was like, no, because I don't want the extension. Like, I'm okay. So giving me that support, um, if I need to come home. They didn't, because remember, I'm an RA, so as far as working, like, that was no issue. Switch your shifts and go home. Um, playing softball, the way it was, if you missed a game, you had to sit out games. But at that time, my coach was like, you got to go, you got to go. So people were very supportive through that time. So now when I'm talking to kids about losing a parent or a sick guardian or, like, a sick grandparent, because a lot of kids are also very close to grandparents. I can understand what they feel uh, because I've sat in it. And I, when I talk about like losing a parent, if you've never been there to lose somebody close, you really don't know. And it wasn't until I went through it that I knew because I've had friends who lost parents and I really did not know what they felt. Like, I'd be like, oh, come on. Like, okay, it's been some time. Like, let's move on. But I didn't know what even grief was. Like, grief is not linear. Like, you could be good for two months and then all of a sudden, pfft, you are in a deep depression, but they don't talk to you about grief and like what it is and how the cycle of grief. You just think, okay, well, two months goes on and you that's how life is. But that's not how it works when you lost somebody very close to you. Um, so when I'm talking to youth, the first thing is you may be sad today or tomorrow and not okay. I mean, and okay the next three days because that's how it works. So one, just let them know I lost a parent. So they know I know and I was young. And two, talking about the cycle of grief. And maybe today you don't want to talk to me, but maybe tomorrow you do want to talk to me. Like, what are some good memories you have with this person? Um, often helps them. And I think just giving them a space away from family is important. Um, because kids often worry about parents. If I cry, will I make my parents sad? If I talk about it, will it make them sadder? If... Um, I do this, how will it affect the parent, right? So that way alone doesn't allow the kid to be a kid and feel because now they've stepped up to be a comfort for an adult, which I get it. We were there and I get it. We want to stay strong for our family members because, you know, we got to keep it going. We got to, we always got to be strong. We got to be the tough ones. Um, but then who is that shoulder for the kid if the kid isn't allowing the parent to do their job? And that's the other part of it, allowing the conversation with the kid is allowing your parent to do their job, like let them come for you. And I get it. It's hard because you don't want your, to see a parent or a guardian that way, but they need to be there for you. Like, and you both will have days where it's okay. It's not okay. It's so, so. So I think doing that allows it for being open about it, opens the door for kids to just know she understands. And it's not a space where it's like, let me tell you about my story. <laughs> I don't do that. But let them know I was in your seat one time. And this is what it was like for me. And, you know, it wasn't fair. Yeah. 
because I was a kid still too, but we can't control life. Things happen and we got to move with it. And then we hope we just heal and grow from it as well. I think that having someone such as yourself that can relate to something that the, the kids are going through because you've been through it. I mean, it can make all the difference in the world as opposed to someone just saying, you know, oh, well, I'm sorry. This is hard. But, you know, you can sit with them and say, I've been there. I know what this is. You know, and I, I think that that can give them something that they, they wouldn't have had elsewhere or otherwise. Yeah. And I think when you go through the experience, you get so tired of hearing, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. It's like, mm-hmm. what else do people have to say? So because right. I know, like, it's just like, after a while, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's okay. So I'm not going to say I'm sorry for your loss because I know you, you've heard that a thousand times. But what do you need in this moment? What was the expert, what was the good memory about this moment, about the person at the moment, the person? Let's talk about something different and give you a space to talk and feel versus I'm just sorry. And all they're going to say is thank you. Like you didn't give them a space to express or explore their feelings and thoughts behind what they just went through. What did they lose? And it wasn't, I'm just losing a person. But in this experience, they probably lost a lot, a lot of sleep. Maybe missed out on games, missed out on events, missed out, you know, on moments that they wish they could have taken back, missed out on things, you know, they wish they never said. Those are things that kids need space to talk about, not just, I'm sorry. Okay, well, I'm going to keep going then. I don't have, no one's exploring with me. No one, and it may not be that no one cares, but no one knows how to talk to me about it because I've been there. I know kind of like how to have the conversation. And I think you asked earlier about the role of a social worker or like, what is it like? Also having like a backbone, like the work we do is hard to talk to. Even before I was with a social, a social worker, I was an after, I was a coordinator for a program. I will never forget this day. It was so sad. The dad comes in and tells us the mom had a baby and the mom died during labor. I want us to all, together tell my daughter in your program who's in your program that her mom died like it's moments like and that's before I became a social worker but it's moments like that where you're working in youth development with families where they trust you so much that they want you to be there for the toughest moments and she was in elementary school so to tell an elementary school girl you no longer have your mom that's hard and at that point, I had already lost my dad. So I already felt for her. Like, she's going to grow up with no mom. There's no there's no mommy-daughter things. There's no, let's go to the hair salon. Let's go to nail salon. There's no mommy coming to shows. All those things as an elementary school, you just lost your parents. And then, but you have a new sibling. So it's like, that in itself is a lot to work through. I lost my mom, but I gained a sibling. Is there anger behind losing a sis, like get, losing my mom and gaining a sister? It, what is that like? The transition of now, daddy is have to play double role now because there is no other person. That was, you know, so it's things like that where in this field you have to be strong, like, and it's hard. It's very because you're taking on a lot of like vicarious trauma. You're taking a lot of people's things on, so. With me just having that experience, not that it's easier, but it's easier to understand possibly a feeling or a thought that could cross a child's mind and a parent's mind. It sounds like so, the and even experiences. I think this year, we had two or three kids lo- lose a dad this year. Man. I was going to say, it sounds like the experiences that you've had. Uh, to deal with and have gone through in your time as a social worker make you almost what feels like a perfect fit for almost anything that the kids could experience because you've been there and you've done that. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, as as long as, you know, one, you take a break for yourself because it can get heavy um, and to seek support. Like we are privy to so much such stuff. And it's not sometimes just even the child. The parents come, the guardians come, and they unfortunately don't have a space to release, and they dump. And they don't do it on purpose. 
because they see it as that safe space and the comfort and they need to get it off their chest. But we just gave them a therapy session. Not and not on purpose, but the parent needed to get off. So now you're taking on the kids' feelings and the parents' feelings, and it's a lot. And then you also have to learn how to detach from it, leave it at the door, and then come in tomorrow and do it again. Yeah, that that sounds like you know they say not all superheroes wear capes. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Oh, we don't. If you could pinpoint a specific moment um, as a clinician that stands out, um, maybe a moment that made you most proud, um, what Mm. would you say it would be? I don't know if it's an exact moment specifically, but sorry, a laptop is dying. Um, Specific moment specifically. But I think it's a general, like, how do I explain it? A general thing, I guess I would say. I've worked with, and I think general, or it's it's been a habit with my kids where I've had, let's say, two sets of groups of middle schoolers, at both from sixth grade to eighth grade. And the growth mm. I've seen in both sets of kids from two different years so one there's like two girls from like a couple years ago and now the kids i'm with now the work that i did with those girls i'm still doing the same work with these kids now a different group and you see that when you meet them they have no language as far as like to tell me what they feel what triggers them they don't know how to communicate it they have no coping skills because they're fresh out of fifth grade they have no coping skills um easily triggered. Um, it takes them a long time to come back down to now. My my kids now are eighth grade and those girls are now high schoolers. But both groups still to today will say, let's have to remember when I didn't know, I didn't like to journal or remember when I didn't know how to communicate my feelings. But now I can tell you how I feel. Or now I actually like journaling. Journaling helps me. It's it's those moments, I think, where the students reflect back to when we first started to now saying, you know, I appreciate you being on my back. I appreciate you making me journal. I appreciate you talking to me, even though I didn't want to talk to you, because now I see the growth and they see the growth in themselves. And that's what I think pinpoints and makes me proud and helps me to continue doing what I'm doing. What I'm doing works. Like I'm on their backs and I tell them, I'm going to rip the bandaid off and be real with you. You wrong. <laughs> or you disappointed, but you're not disappointing me. You're disappointing yourself. And that's where it's like, wow, I don't know how to put it in words. Or you disappointed that you feel this way. Or you're sad because of this. And then when they go to the, you get them to the next grade, it's, now they can tell you, well, I'm mad and sad and disappointed because of this, 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 and this is what you told me. Like one of my high schoolers, um, she had a sweet 16 and she actually one of her sweet 16 candles was to me. And she just thanked mm-hmm. me for all of the things that we worked on. And still now she's like, I need help because I don't feel okay. And I'm like, well, here's your journal. Go write. Go write this mm-hmm. in your journal. And then she'll text, oh, I didn't forget about you. I was just working. I'm going to get back to it. So it's those moments where they're also still seeking me years later to let me know that they're okay and still give me my flowers. And also looking for support from me on like, what do I do? I Something's not right. I know I want to be better. I don't know how. That, that for me is like the prouder moment that I'm doing the right thing and I'm doing what needs to be done. Maybe not by a textbook, but it's my way of working that is working. I'm sure that has to make you feel proud and give you some fulfillment to see that you're actually giving these girls tools to um, allow them to be able to to manage being a productive um, member of society and and to be able to do it well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Even just like some of my boys being able to advocate for themselves is super important Um, Mm -hmm. because to advocate for a male, you know, that could be hard. I got to speak up. I got to, you know, be vulnerable. Like this is a problem, even in all these little kid middle school relationships. 
<laughs> we tell them, don't be in a relationship, but what can we control, right? But even then, it's, well, Miss Tabitha, I got a girlfriend. Okay. Miss Tabitha, we broke up. Why? Well, she made me feel like this, and I didn't like it. You know what? I'm proud of you because you didn't say something that didn't make you feel good, and you were able to verbalize it. So I'm giving you your props, kudos, that you were able to do that. And it's things like, just telling me you're in a relationship could be a big deal. They may not go tell their teacher or their auntie that they're closer to, but they trusted that information with me for me to say, you know what? Good job. You made that the right choice. Would you have made this a year ago? I don't think so. But I'm proud to see that you know what you're not going to settle for and you see self-worth in yourself. So kudos to you. So it's moments like that that make me feel like, you know what? We might have been bumping heads last year trying to talk to each other, but this year it was worth it because now all they want to do is sit with me and talk. That's great. So what is the four-air project? The four-air project, so I started in 2020 during the pandemic. Um, My friends, I was talking to them because I like to do game nights, and they were like, why don't you do something like create spaces for kids? And I was like, okay. That's a good idea. Why not? <laughs> so the Four Air Project, um, the Four Air is very similar to my last name. So my last name is Ferrer, so Four Air. But also when we talk about mindfulness and coping skills, like breathing is one of the major coping skills that we often teach, whether it's deep breathing, whether it's body skills. Even if you're doing yoga, they're telling you practice breathing um, and focusing on that. So there's two um uh, meanings to the name for air, um, and also being adopted. Um, for is my last name from being adopted, so it means a lot to me that they've taken me in and um, given me a great life. Like it could have been went left, but they gave me a great life where I am now successful. So the four air creates spaces um, in New York for youth, primarily elementary and middle schoolers. Um, and it's two ways. Either I am curating a space where I'm not necessarily the facilitator. I bring in different community organizations to lead workshops. So I may connect with other social workers to talk to the elementary and middle school youth about just self-care, mental health, giving them language. What does it look like to be sad? Show me. Um, what does it look like? Let's practice positive affirmations. So I've connected with some of my social work friends and they've come in to talk to the youth. Um, and you could talk to youth middle school age about mental health and like, what does it mean to be sad? What does it look like? What does happiness look like? What makes you happy? Um, then I've talked to other community members and they come in and do interactive tables, whether it's creating sensory jars, slime, uh, positive affirmation t-shirts, whether it's we're doing yoga or they're doing learning how to do the basics of boxing. So self-defense, exercising, taking care of your physical. So either a space like that or I am the facilitator and we are talking about mental health, um, coping skills, we're connecting it to uh, like movies and watching other clips, um, understanding triggers. What did your friend do? Learning healthy relationships, good and bad of a relationship. So those are things that I do under the four air. Um, also, people have connected with me to help them curate a mental health space. So they don't necessarily know how to or have the resources to, but they know they want to do it. They've reached out to me and what we do is sit and we plan and talk. Okay, well, these are people who could be on your panel. These are people who can film or take pictures. They, I'm like the research guru. I connect them to the people and we create the space. So it's, I guess, three different ways that the Foot Air Project shows up in the community. I also do tabling at events as well. And my favorite thing to do is creating DIY stress balls. And that's always something. So at the table, we talk about why do we use a stress ball? What is a stress ball? And then anything upcoming. So right now, kids are about to go back to school. um, Or they're in the school now and just started school. So why do we need a stress ball? Why do we need to build a coping skills kit at the beginning of school years? So those conversations happen as we build the stress ball together. What are some yeah. things, some, <laughs> what are some major accomplishments that you've been able to do through the, the 4 project, like community-wide? Yeah. Um, so annually I've done the Kitty Fest, which is a character Kitty Fest where a lot of families I know don't celebrate Halloween, 
But what we do is have children come in their best character. Um, and we, it's a day filled of activities. So sometimes we have a bouncy house. Sometimes we have um, little mini competitions, but they get to come dressed up. They take pictures, get their face painted. Mental health theme is throughout it though. Um, so they are sitting there having the panel, like little conversations about mental health. They may be coloring and doodling and that's uh, coloring doodling in relations to feelings. Um, so the Kitty Fest I do annually. I've done table events. Um, I was featured in Essence. Um, going back to school article last year. So that was awesome. Um, what else have I done? I've done paneling. I've done moderation um, through the four air. Tons and tons of workshops. Even for high schoolers, I've done workshops. Um, I think that's it for now. I mean, that's enough. <laughs> You're doing oh, a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, very true. Let me ask this. If if there are any young people who are struggling on a day-to-day basis and feel like they can't find any relief, um, what are some things that they can implement right now to feel better? Um, journaling is one. Um, and it could just be about anything, things that they're grateful for, things that like in this moment that went wrong. Um, things that they want. So just journaling, giving this space. It doesn't even have to make sense. Just write. Um, do something that they enjoy, whether it is watching a movie, taking a bath, calling a friend, eating their favorite meal, doing something that they enjoy. Um, depending on the feeling, it could just be go put your hands under something cold, go hold something cold to give you some type of feeling, a physical feeling. Sometimes that sparks um, the neurons in our body and kind of gives us a different sensation. Um, sometimes just sit in silence, sit in silence, and relax your body. Listen to music is a kid's favorite. Like I just put my headphones in, listen to music. Um, those will be some things that I would say, um, or talk to somebody. If you are comfortable talking, talk to somebody. Um, and that could also just be hard, but that's another one I think can bring some type of release where you have a space that you didn't know you needed and you just go for it. That's good advice. Um, so last question. If you yeah. could use your platform to encourage any young people who might be struggling with their big feelings or emotions and scared or on the fence about talking to somebody, what would you say? Um, First, normalize it. That is okay. Like those feelings are very valid and they're okay. Because we have to think also, thinking about the word therapy is very scary. And then one, either we don't know what it is or you've already had someone put in your mind what they, they've experienced and they might not have been a good experience. So they've already put that in your mind that it's something scary. People are going to be in your business, X, Y, Z. So let them know their thoughts or concerns, hesitations is okay. Um, I think also breaking it down to them that breaking down what it looks like is very important. When I break down often to kids who are hesitant, they're more open. So I may identify who's your person in school or outside that you talk to. Is it your guidance counselor? Is it your teacher? Why are you, what makes you feel comfortable? Even if they're just talking to me, they may not know me at all. They may just met me that day and they're already talking to me. Well, why are you talking to me? Oh, cause I like you. You made it comfortable. I well, this is therapy. <laughs> we just had a therapy session and you didn't even know it, but this is just me talking to you. Then they're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Um, so letting them know it's not just a, a couch situation. Like therapy is very different for different people with different people, but also knowing you could change therapists when you need to. If you feel like it's not a good fit, it's okay to change. You, you're not stuck to it. So that makes them feel comfortable. Um, tell them how long a therapy session is, letting them know like the things that you say do stay between you and your therapist unless you disclose some type of safety concerns. Then that's where confidentiality is breached. Uh, Once you let children know about like these ins and outs of therapy, they're a little more open to it. But also talking about, well, why do you want it? What can you gain from it? Um, what do you want to learn? And that often helps them to say, okay, I'll give it a try. Um, 
And then most of the time they're able to do it. So I'm letting them, I also let them know, you know, you gain skills from it. You help manage your emotions. Um, it's not permanent. Um, they are your person because oftentimes children do not have that one person. And in schools, us social workers, we are busy. Like they want to come to me for everything. I have to explain I would love to just talk to you all day, but I am pulled like an octopus in 10 different directions. Do you see how many times you try to come talk to me and I wasn't available? This person you're going to speak to will be available for you on this day for an hour or whatever it is. This is your person. Not that I won't be, but this is also your person in addition to me. And then they're okay with it. So I think it's breaking down the barriers. Um, Not that we're going to get rid of all the stigma because a lot of people have a thought on it, but giving them some more, again, education. And then then they can make that decision. And that's for them and the parent, because sometimes they're minors. So the parent needs to sign off. So having that discussion also with the parent and letting them know, mom, dad, uncle, auntie, if we don't start working on these behaviors now, it will impact them in the future. Like, And it's a space for them to talk and gain skills. When I often say gain skills, like, okay. It's not that bad. It's not like somebody, like they're just talking to talk. There's, yes, talking to get information, but also we're adding to that and helping them deal with whatever they're going through and also helping you deal with it because now we're giving you skills to practice at home with your child. So that oftentimes will break kind of that hesitation and resistance and then they're open to it and then I connect them and then they're in love with therapy. They're like, yeah, I'm in therapy on the outside. It's great. I like seeing her or him and Great. I'm so happy that you like it because it was needed. Wow. Well, thank you for the work that you do. Um, I know that the youth today need someone in their corner, someone who is skilled and can give them tools to equip them with just how to be able to navigate life. So thank you for that. Thank you for this. Um, this has been great. I, I appreciate your time and agreeing to do this with me to share your, your knowledge and your skill set. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me um, and allowing me to talk about like what I do um, on day day. <laughs> if people want to find you online or on social media, where can they find you? So on Instagram, find me at the T H E the number four air A I R project um, on Instagram. Um, and then I do have it a Facebook too. It's the Four Air Project. Um, same thing. The the number four air four air is one word project. Um, and I'm on TikTok, but I'm not on TikTok, so that don't really count. But really, Instagram is the primary primarily place you can find me, DM me, uh, like, comment, share. I love all those things. Uh, yeah. Well, Tabitha, again, thank you so much for this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate who you are and what you're doing for young people. Um, so keep it up. Give our young people a voice and tools and everything that they need to, to be successful. So thank you for who you are, for what you do and the way that you do it. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it.